You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Performance of the week was probably way back on day one. I was very impressed with Paddington in the St. James's Palace. I wasn't expecting that because I have an awful lot of respect for Caldine. I didn't know how the Irish Guineas was going to stand up, but with two furlongs to run, it was evident that the Irish Guineas was going to be dominant. And I thought he set the tone for what was a you know, a tremendous week and uh, a fantastic day one for the guy who'd be crowned top rider at the meeting, Ryan Moore. If Paddington was your your purists highlight what was your personal highlight it was it was probably a couple of hours later around an hour and a half later in the copper horse handicap because i was just so sweet on vauban all the way along and as anybody who knows me knows my heart is is in national hunt my head might be in flat but when Ryan Moore starts to roll six down in a handicap after making the running, and I'm thinking, oh my God, is he that slow? <laughs> Does he need to be stretching him from now? And then I, he's crossing the line, and I'm thinking, Ryan, um, you know that's a handicap. <laughs> and you know his prime objective is a handicap uh, probably in November at the other side of the world. But uh, that was fabulous. That was a one-two for Willie Mullins. Nicky Henderson having got on the score sheet as well with a horse with no name who was in full uh, in the Ascot Stakes. So there was there was an awful lot to take in on day one and that only set the tone for what was a truly magical week. Okay, while we're at it, on, on performance alone, before we talk about the human stories, on performance alone, who do you think deserves an honourable mention? Did, did Mostadaf get the credit he deserved for the performance he put up in the Prince of Wales? Probably not, because everybody was looking behind to see what happened to other horses and horses that didn't line up. Here's a horse that relishes proper good ground, and you could call him a winner from an awful long way out. So I think Mostadaf has pronounced himself as top drawer. And I will say I was a little bit, you know, I was expecting this blow me away browning moment performance from Tahira in the coronation and she didn't quite produce that they went steady she had to drop in and when she quickened up I thought she was gone I thought we'd see five six lengths open up between her and Remarque that with the stewards inquiry and the fact that the winning margin was one length it did get a little bit overshadowed that Tahira actually is a very good filly there's a very good filly in France called Blue Rose Sen, and she the French filly still garners the title of the best three-year-old filly in in Europe because Tahira didn't quite do what I was expecting yes she won and it was wonderful and Chris Hayes had his first Royal Ascot winner they get the vibe that we still haven't seen her true ability we will be hearing about Blue Rose Sen in just a few moments' time from her trainer, Christopher Head. So stay tuned for that. Other disappointments uh, from an equine perspective, Jane, who let you down? I thought Free Wind was, when Hookham came out, I thought Free Wind was a good thing and the Hardwick didn't quite materialise. Um, Little Big Bear getting beaten in the Commonwealth, probably, but that threw up one of the the person story, one of the most fabulous person stories in Shaquille in the Commonwealth Cup. Um, there was obviously a couple, but overall, it was a fantastic week. And again, you're talking about equine performances. I must mention King of Steel as well. I went down to the paddock to see him and he is huge. He's such a big horse, uh, yet to really fill his frame. 
And again, they went slow and he had to quicken from last. I thought that was a really good performance. And Frank's the derby form, which will tie in nicely when we see August Rodan this weekend at the Curra. Okay, I'm just going to park Frankie for a moment. Um, aside from him and obviously Ryan Moore, who was brilliantly efficient as he always is at Royal Ascot, which people shone and why? Well, Holly Doyle has had a frustrating time since her injury and I thought she... You know, she had three winners with Archie Watson. She was pretty fantastic and didn't leave any opportunity to pass her by. Colin Keane, I couldn't believe that was his first uh, Royal Ascot win on Villanova Queen. That guy deserves more opportunities on the biggest stage because he doesn't miss the target when given a dart to throw. Um, and probably Danny Toadhope on, on Rogue Millennium as well. A fantastic rider. Didn't have a strong book of rides really going in and... Uh, Rogue Millennium didn't let him down in in the Duke of Cambridge. So there there was there's any number, and I don't want to be if anybody's listening in thinking she should she should have said this, she should have said that. It takes a couple of days. We're we're like a horse. It might take a couple of days for us to truly get the energy levels back to one hundred percent. Absolutely, but I think it it's always interesting to know what's made that visceral impression on you, what you feel most deeply about about the races before you start trying to pick them apart that little bit more. And also what what you might have noticed that, that other people didn't because there's been so much surround sound and because the big storylines have been, you know, hitting you over the head with a with a sledgehammer. You know, some of the things that have really appealed to you, I think, I think will mean quite a bit to to lots because people will find something different that they like in all the, all the aspects of the week, which is what makes it so enjoyable. I, you mentioned Holly Doyle. I thought Archie Watson's training of those horses was was absolutely superb. And given it's a week where it is just so difficult and the fields are so huge to train winners, there's there's any number of those stories to to reflect upon. When you were talking about Archie Watson, I, I, I just remembered I must mention Gavin Cromwell. Two run two runners at Ascot, now two two year old winners after winning the Chesham with Snellen. Snellen would have been not in on my radar at all. Won a maiden at Limerick after hanging violently left and comes and wins the Chesham. Wouldn't have seen that coming. So, you know, two runs, two wins for a trainer who's predominantly known with his national hunt string. I tip my hat to Gavin Cromwell. What of what of the more obvious storylines then, Jane and, and Frankie de Tory? What did we take from uh, those final few moments on Saturday and his comments about about retirement? That he's going to ride in the Melbourne Cup, or at least he's going to try and get a ride in the Melbourne Cup. He mentioned the Breeders' Cup, he mentioned Hong Kong, and when Francesca Kamani just put a little bit of pressure on us to regard whether he would go to, to Melbourne, um, he could basically confirm that he would, provided he obviously gets a ride in the race. So uh, hopefully we'll have Frankie till November, and uh, you know, he rode okay this week, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, and all very different as well. Gregory fiddling about with a pace up front. I enjoyed that one. Courage Mon Ami, just a bit of magic. Coppice had that inevitability about it as soon as he started to make his run. And Porta Fortuna, he hadn't ridden a two-year-old, I don't think, all the way up to Royal Ascot in, in Europe this year. So it was nice to get a, a two-year-old win as well to make it his, his 80th. That had a certain significance to it. And three members of the O'Brien family, of course, having winners uh, in the week. We rather take that for granted, but uh, Anne-Marie certainly must be extremely proud. 
But it seems an awful long time ago since Triple Time won the Queen Anne Stakes. Ever the opportunist, I've managed to track Kevin Ryan down just as he's just as he's boarding a plane. Uh, Kevin, uh, how's Triple Time doing? Look, he's um, we're delighted with him. That's, it, it wasn't it wasn't a big surprise to us. Um, we've always held him in the highest regard, and um, I think now we'll um, we'll go to Dover with him for the, the Jack the War. For the Jacques Lamar one next, he he's a horse with yes. it seems boundless enthusiasm for the job as well. When it through the first kind of couple of furlongs, when he was sort of getting taking a bit of a hold, were you were you worried at all? Um, no, because he, he's actually visually it looks like he, he's pulling quite hard, but he actually isn't. He's just got quite a sensitive mouth, um, and that's why Neil just dropped his hands in the next strap and just sat against his next strap really rather than his mouth but after the first two you know I was first two forums I was very happy um, with the the, the, the the pace of the race and he's got a very big long stride so it's, um, you have to let him use it as well you know so you feel as as he gets more experience in in top company he might actually just be able to 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 use his natural exuberance more effectively Absolutely, and the first one of the season you know, is probably a little bit fresh as well. You know, unfortunately, things went wrong at Newbury. We had to withdraw, but um, you know, you, you have to. I, I would think that we'll just get a bit more of the freshness out of him, and hopefully, he'll, he'll learn. He'll learn on the job as he's going along. I mean, you've you've gone on record as saying he's he's the best you've you've had. He's the, he's the best you you've you've trained. Uh, how challenging has it been to get him to to this point? He's clearly not been totally straightforward. To be honest, he had a little setback last year, which was quite minor, but we gave him plenty of time. Um, and, you know, he, he's come back run. He won at Haydock, and then he ran on very heavy ground in France, which um, he hated. Um, so we draw a line through that. So if he took the run from France out of his form, you know, um, his form is rock solid. And just one final question before before takeoff, uh, Kevin. How satisfying was it for you, or or how rewarding was it for you to see your very old friend Neil Callan punch the air as you as he passed the line? Uh, absolutely, you know he's come back from Hong Kong, and Neil has always been a very um, very good rider. And he, you know, he came back from Hong Kong and he hit the ground running here straight away, and um, that's what top jockeys do, you know. It sounds like it's doors to manual, Kevin. Uh, wherever it is you're off to, enjoy. Thanks so much. Lovely. Thank you very much. Okay, that was Kevin Ryan. And Neil Callan's ride on Triple Time was the first of the five rides that you voted a Royal Ascot ride of the day. And we're now putting each of the days into a final few to vote on. So day one, you voted. Not me. You voted for Neil Callan on Triple Time as your as your ride of the day. Day two, you voted for Frankie Dottori's um, pace masterclass on Gregory. Day three, Gold Cup Day, you voted for the, the Royal Ride, Tom Marquand on Desert Hero. In the race, they went far, far too fast and Marquand uh, threaded his way through. I thought that was that was brilliant. Little bit of luck, but um, quite daring. Day four, you voted for Asheen Murphy, who showed great patience after Shaquille had tried to blow his chance by rearing at the start. And on day five... Jamie Spencer, a bit of Spence, uh, Spencer inspiration on Cardem to pull that rabbit out of the hat in the Queen Elizabeth II Jubilee. Those were the five that you voted for. We're putting them into a final now. Um, what do you think then, Jane? Uh, the final uh, sponsored by Huntsman from Savile Row, 
who've been outfitting the kings and queens of Europe, Hollywood's leading lights, artists, designers for 171 years, who deserves to be uh, to be their king for the week? Oh, I voted for Jamie Spencer on Cadden. Uh, I just thought it was vintage Jamie, and for a horse that I thought going into the race hadn't much of a chance, he rode him with great belief. Well, another stunning performance from the world's best horse, Equinox, this time in the Takarazuka Kinnan in Hanshin in Japan. He's ridden, as so many great horses in Japan and elsewhere have been ridden down the last decade and a half by Christophe Lemaire, who joins me now. Christophe, first of all, just talk me through yesterday's performance from Equinox. Yes, uh, yesterday uh, Equinox has shown uh, once again his, uh, his great talent and potential. Uh, it was, um, you know, he had to confirm his uh, tremendous performance in Dubai and uh, with the title of uh, best uh, tough horse in the world, uh, he had to, to show once again that uh, he was uh, something special and he definitely did because uh, the position we were in the last corner was, was not at his advantage. But uh, at least he had a clear run and could uh, could gallop in in a good ground uh, in the middle of the track. Uh, and uh, even if he won by just a half length, uh, the way he the way he covered ground and uh, passed the the field, uh, the other horses was uh, very impressive. And uh, we had the, the confirmation that everybody was waiting for. A lot of people will look at that that run and say Christophe Lemaire has ridden so many talented horses in so many big races. What would make you ride him like that? Why would you set him that kind of challenge and come all the way around the field and and not save any ground? Uh, but it's a combination of a uh, few things. Uh, the first is that uh, if you if you watch. Uh, with a lot of attention, uh, the start of the race, the, the horse stumbled a little bit, so uh, he wasn't, he was not in a good rhythm to take a good position. Then the, the horses from outside uh, came very quickly to to the uh, to the inside, and uh, with my drone five, I, I couldn't put the horse in in good condition, comfortable. So um, I know the horse. Uh, I couldn't ask him to to make an effort and to keep uh, this position in front of the stand because he's a very reactive horse, as as we could see uh, at the end of the race. And if I asked him to to keep the position at, at that moment, he, he would have grabbed a bit and maybe uh, he would have do he would have done too much uh in in the early part of the race so I, I had no choice to 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 pull up and uh, to put him uh, behind and get him relax uh, the first part of the race and secondly the the ground was very bad uh, at Anshin race course because it's the end of the of the meeting on that race course we had a lot of rain uh, last week and uh, the ground was very poor and uh, and uh, I didn't want to take any risk to 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 make him run in such a, a bad uh, background. So uh, uh, I decided to to make the move on the outside. 
uh, which actually uh, was not uh, a bad decision because I had uh, two favorite horses in front of me mm. uh, with Justin Palace and um, and uh, the horse ridden by uh, Yutaka Take. So uh, I, I, I thought these horses could bring me a little bit more uh, into the straight. But uh, with 17 runners, uh, I had to, to make the move where where I made the move. And even if it looks uh, a bit weird uh, for <laughs> Europeans, uh, this um, situation happens very often in Japan. And uh, and uh, we see uh, we can see a lot of horses winning from that position uh, on this uh, short uh, short course of Hanshin Racecourse. So he has produced a spectacular performance, come what may. And and I love the way he galloped out through the line as well, a bit like he did in in Dubai. I see that clearly the, the Japan Cup is going to be his target. Is it right that he's left off until then, or or does he have does he have prep runs for the Japan Cup? Uh, I, I I don't know yet exactly. Uh, I haven't talked uh, with the with the manager of uh, of Silk Racing, but as you say, uh, the main target will be the Japan Cup uh, because uh, it's a very important race for for Japanese horses to become stallions uh, after they retire. And uh, there will be a, a big bonus um, uh, in terms of money uh, because he's a, he's a Dubai Shima Classic winner and uh, Ari McKinnon winner. So uh, he will have a bonus if he wins the, the Japan Cup. So uh, I don't know if he will have a, a trial before the Japan Cup or if he will go straight to, to that race, uh, it has to be decided. You've ridden some of the, the great horses of the last couple of decades in, in Europe and in, in Japan. I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but if I was to say, you know, Divine Proportions, Heart's Cry, Satono Diamond, Gran Allegria, Almond Eye, and I'm only scratching the surface, Chronogenesis, I'm only scratching the surface. Is it clear in your mind that this is the best of the lot? Uh, for the moment, I would say that Almondai was was the best of them because uh, she's the the horse uh, who won the, the most Group Ones in a career in Japan, a uh, number of nine. So um, uh, Equinox is not yet uh, at that level, but uh, the way he the 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 easy way he, he wins a group ones uh, like this uh, we can expect him to to reach uh, the number of Almondai uh, but uh, you know he's the kind of horse that is uh, good enough to um, to extract himself from uh, bad situations or uh, to extract from trouble, you know, he's uh, he's such a talented horse that even if you lose uh, one, two, or three lengths uh, during the race, uh, he's able to um, to to recover from that loss. And uh, you know, yesterday the the Takarazu Kakinen is is a very difficult race to win because of. That conditions, I said before, the, the ground condition and the, the short track 
uh, with with a short straight. Uh, it's a very tricky race, and um, yesterday he proved that he was the the kind of horse that that can uh, win uh, from any position and from any any bad situation. All right, Jane, that was Christophe Lemaire. I, that was amazing insight as to how that race panned out yesterday. If you haven't looked at it, do go and have a look at it. Um, it it's a it's a, a stunning performance all the way around the outside. Uh, obviously, he will go to the Japan Cup as the, as the heavy favourite. Wouldn't it be great if there were a few Europeans there to try and take him on, particularly if all goes well with Auguste Rodin, the son of Deep Impact, in this weekend's Irish Derby, Jane. Any reason it shouldn't? No reason it shouldn't. Uh, Spreewell and White Birch look the obvious contenders for the Irish Derby against him. Um, Hopefully they all turn up and we get a strong field, but they're the top three as it stands. But any of them will do well to get to the tail of this guy. I was just blown away how he just circled the whole field around a bend Christoph didn't care how wide he was going. He always, he was, he was just keeping him out of trouble. And if you go back to the Shima Classic form, Mustadaf was seven lengths behind him. We know how that stacked up at Ascot. Westover was second to him, but never really landed a blow. And he is, for me and a lot of people who I can see in com- commenting online, the world's best horse at the moment. And there will be comparisons between him and, and some of the recent top-rated horses like Flightline. But what this guy is doing um, is majestic. I just hope that he travels a bit. Other than he went to Dubai, I hope we see him. Uh, he'll go to the Hong, uh, to the Japan Cup, but he'll do hopefully a little bit more before he retires. But he's um, he's one of those horses who were probably yet to see him at full stretch. He he only won by a neck, but he if you watch it back. Stunning from Equinox. And if he's the best horse in the world, Jane was talking earlier on about the battle for supremacy amongst three-year-old fillies, particularly in, in Europe. And we expected to hear her to be dominant at Ascot. And she was not quite as dominant as we expected. And Jane was talking about Blue Rose Sen earlier as perhaps the leader of, of that division. I've been speaking to her trainer, Christopher Head, because he trains two of the best horses in Europe, Blue Rose Sen and Big Rock. And he's been fleshing out plans for both. I first asked him how Blue Rose Sen had come out of her victory in the Prix de Diane, having completed that Boussac Pouliche Diane treble. Thank you, Nick. Uh, she's brilliantly get out of the race like she always did. She's a, she's a filly that doesn't look like she's uh, spending and consuming anything during the, those races. She's just brilliant. She got the mental, she got the physique, and and I can't wait to see her on the on the next stage of her career. Uh, she's she's a young filly to have had nine racecourse appearances already. She obviously takes her racing unusually well. Exactly, she's uh, she always been resilient, and uh, I think that's one of the the quality that is the most important uh, regarding the racehorses is the resilience and the way that they can encounter challenges and get out of it like nothing happens. Is pretty much what described Blue Rose and today after the Diane. Now, the good news is that we're going to get a chance to see her in, in England next. What are you going to do and why? The the main idea is to still keep up with the challenges. The owner, he really, really loves it. 
you've always been bold and daring and venture embracing challenges so we've been talking a lot about the next stage for Rurosen and he wants uh, to go to the NASA stakes to make the the same challenge as Nashua did with the Quidian and the NASA stakes double and uh, and we really have a, a great faith in her with that program so she's coming to to Glorious Goodwood for the for the Nassau again. It's a mile and a quarter. We saw how well she she got the distance in the in the Dian. Do you think that's her that's her optimum distance? I don't think we get to to have the limit of that filly yet, but I still want to encounter the old fillies uh, without getting into a new distance. So we still keep with the distance that we know that she's at best right now. And uh, and we try to encounter a new panel of fillies that we haven't encountered yet to be able to know if she's capable of getting into the Vermeer and then with the with the aspects of the Vermeer and the result in the Vermeer, we will pretty much know if she's an Arc or a Nepra. Okay, so there is a possibility of you know using that three-year-old filly's allowance if she does get a bit further to to, to turn her into an Arc filly. Exactly, we still have that. Even if she's not in the race, it's still a possibility that she gets supplemented into the arc and mm. she gets into that uh, that race. Uh, I mean, the like I said, uh, Leopoldo Fernandez Pujals of the Yegera Centurion is really a bold and daring individual, embracing challenges, and so we're we're trying to do our best to to get the horses to that kind of challenges and um, and that's why we're very happy to go into the NASA stakes. I mean, Goodwood is a a beautiful race course, highly technical track. And uh, and I remember my father winning the Sisset Stakes with Solo. So I really wish to go into that after. Uh, you do have two entries already in the in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. One of them, of course, is your is your jockey club runner-up, uh, Big Rock. How's he doing? Doing fine. It's, uh, it's, it's really a brilliant, not the same profile as Rural Sen. It's pretty much a mile horse and a 1,800 top. And uh, we've learned that on the Jockey Club because the time that he has done into the Jockey Club was just brilliant. And uh, we can't wait to put him onto another path, which is the Jacques Marois, Moulin de Longchamp, and probably, and probably the Queen Elizabeth Stakes too. Ah, perfect. So he is just following that classic... Uh, European milers pattern through the rest of the year. Exactly. Um, Christopher, thanks so much for talking to me today. Uh, it's great to have two such exciting horses in the, in the classic division, and we very much look forward to seeing Blue Rose Senna Goodwood. Thank you very much. Uh, trainer Christopher Head there with news of Blue Rose Sen and Big Rock. Really interesting running plans there. Blue Rose Sen, Nassau Stakes, and then maybe a tilt at the Vermeer and then the Arc to take advantage of the allowance. She'd need supplementing. And Big Rock going that Maru. Big Rock to take on triple time in the pre-Jacques Lemaur. That's going to be one hell of a race, Jane. It will indeed. It was evident in the jockey club that he didn't quite get home. I thought a furlong down, this guy is going to be uh, out of this world impressive. And he just started to thread water. News on Ace Impact as well. Uh, Ara de Beaumont coming in to buy 50% of him. So he will, wherever he goes or whatever he does in the future, will stand at stud in France. But back to to Blue Seine Rose, I, or Blue Rose Seine even. I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this filly. She... He's done a lot of running. You know, you compare her to Tahira. Tahira's ran five times. This filly's ran nine and won seven. Uh, she blew the, she blew me away and a lot of people away in Shanti. It was actually at Longchamp when she won the guineas there. 
the first really since Zarkava to do the Boussac, the French Guineas, and the Diane Treble. Zarkava was a very special filly, retired at the end of her three-year-old year. This filly is being ambitiously campaigned. People will think, okay, will she stay a mile and a half? She's by Churchill. She's got a lot of speed. She is out of a Jeremy mare, so she has a chance. And the way she relaxes in her races gives her a chance. I'd imagine Christopher Head will be asking for the thoughts of a certain cricket head with uh, preparation for an arc with a three-year-old filly, with a filly in general. And he won't lack for good, wise advice. All right, Jane, as we touched on uh, Saturday in the special bonus podcast, it was a, a good week for the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board to uh, disseminate some of the, the less seemly bits of, of news whilst everybody was looking in the other direction. We'll start with Ronan McNally's appeal, uh, which mainly failed, though there were a few adjustments. Just tell us what happened here. Yes, so it's a 22-page press release from the IHRB. They were clearing their decks. This was heard uh, over three days, and it actually is more interesting than the the bare surface. The bare, sur- the bare surface tells us that he has had the last four years of his 12-year suspension suspended. So he's effectively a disqualified person for eight years with the final four years suspended, provided he does not break any rules of racing in the intervening period but if you actually delve into it which as a sad geek i have um there's a number of 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 key takeaways from this so i'm going to quote directly the ihrb press release it is very regrettable that so much of this appeal was taken up seeking to raise new issues which could have been raised at the hearing before the committee but were not we hope that such a course will not be repeated in future appeals hearings before the committee are not in the nature of dress rehearsals or dry runs it is not appropriate that issues which could have been raised before the committee are not but are held in reserve for an appeal in the event of tactics engaged in at first instance not proving fruitful this uh, that is unacceptable and will not be viewed sympathetically so obviously the appeal Appeals Committee felt that the appealant held back information from the initial hearing to provide to the Appeals Committee. So they were not happy about that. Now, fast forward to the end. The IHRB have said, we see nothing wrong in principle with the sanctions that were imposed by the committee. And that was the whole thing. 12 years. My God, where did they get that sanction from? This is what they're saying. However, on appeal, much has been made of the length of the period of being disqualified as a disqualified person and the fact that it precludes the appealant from attending a race course at all for the next 12 years. He has a young son who has shown promise as a rider and it is said that his total ban on the appealant attending at a race course will impact adversely on his son. So we saw a lot of that in the press. Aside from actually in hearings and in the IHRB, we saw Ronan play on that and, and it obviously has hit home to a certain extent. The imposition of a sanction on any wrongdoer very often has implications for other persons from their particular family. That is not in itself a reason for a sanction not to be imposed. The effects of the sanction imposed on the appealant here are contained in Rule 2 
2.76, which renders a, a disqualified person not to be able to, right? There's six parts to rule 2.76, but what's interesting is the final two parts are part five, enter any race course, stand or enclosure. That's part five. And part six is to be employed in any capacity by a trainer. So that's where the rule 2.76 currently stands. But if we skip forward a little bit, and I know you're sleeping at this stage, but bear with me, we're nearly there. It is clear that under the current rule, the appealant will indeed be prohibited from any race course, stand or enclosure for the duration of him being a disqualified person. That rule is, however, about to be changed with effect in July 1st, 2023. So they're changing the rule. Now, the sub rule will read that it will be altered so as to preclude entry to any race course. Thus, Ronan McNally, as a disqualified person, will be allowed to enter a race course, to attend race meetings. And there will be a new subrule as part six, which will preclude entry to any licensed premises to engage in providing services. The prohibition, which is contained at present in subrule six, will also be changed to prohibit employment in any capacity by a trainer unless an application to employ the individual has been approved. So essentially, Ronan McNally hasn't really succeeded. But what he has done, he's got four years suspended off the back of his 12-year suspension. And two parts of the disqualified person's rule have been altered. So he can attend race meetings and he can, be, uh, he can go on to licensed premises. So I don't think that's a, an entirely, it's not an entire waste of time, that appeal. And Jane, trainer Dennis Hogan has received a suspension as well, though he is appealing. What's happened so far in this case? So Dennis Hogan had Bally Adam Destiny, um, who, who won a, a handicap hurdle at Galway of October 29th, 2022, he tested positive for TCA and dexamethasone, which is um, an anti-inflammatory. And it's Dennis's, um, he's had four winners disqualified in the past five years due to failed post-race drug samples. Um, Lynn Hillier and her, her team um, investigated how this happened. And this is the purpose of a medicines register. Hogan's med medicine register confirmed that his veterinary surgeon, Dunica Houlihan, had administered the substances on September 27th. And dates are important here, September 27th, and advised the trainer that the drugs had a 40-day withdrawal time. The horse ran in on October 29th, 31 days later. Hence, the trainer had ignored or gone against what uh, his, his veterinary surgeon had recommended. The withdrawal time was not sufficient, hence his horse did test positive for these drugs. He did not um, request a B sample, and this is where he is at. He has got a... he Mr. Hogan's license has been withdrawn for a period of three months, and that the, the suspension should commence from the 1st of August, and he's also been fined a sum of €5,000. He has uh, expressed his wish to appeal, so it's unlikely that it will come into force on August 1st, but um, considering this is his, um, not his first violation, uh, the fact that they're suspending his license is probably the obvious next step. He obviously feels it's a little bit uh, harsh, but he can make that case under appeal.
One of the great national hunt sales for, for unraced horses takes place in Ireland this week. It is the, the Derby sale, uh, Tattersall's Ireland, and I'm really pleased to welcome Richard Pugh to the show to talk a little bit about it. Because, Richard, I think you know, we talk a lot about sales on, on this podcast. The Derby sale has a, has a really rich history going back uh, well over a quarter of a century, well, nearly half a century now. Uh, just tell us a little bit about wh- where it all kicked off. Yeah, thank you, Nick. It's an exciting week for us. Um, it's the 49th running of the Derby sale, so we're nearly, you're, you're almost on the money. We're, we're year number 50 next year, so we've that to look forward to. But it began back in, in 1975 in Balls Bridge and then made its way here to, to Ratoth. And look, I suppose back then things were different. I think we charged a pound for a catalogue. Um, the sale began at noon, finished at six. Everybody stopped for an hour and a half. It began again at seven thirty and finished at ten thirty that night. So one hundred thirty six lots. So many differences and yet so many similarities. Um, there were three year olds and four year olds predominantly sold then, but the dominance was with three year olds, believe it or not. And it obviously is very dominantly uh, three year olds this week. It's exclusively three year olds, but um, an interesting and a fascinating journey throughout. Yeah, it's interesting that because there was a period where where four year olds at, at store sales tended to be the the sort of dominant group, didn't they? Yeah, it's something we can overstate. I think sixty seven percent of the catalogue were three year olds in the very first year. That dropped to forty five percent in two thousand and two, uh, and it's a hundred percent this year. And if you go back to that very first Derby sale, a horse that would have been very influential in my connection to racing, Kil Coleman. Uh, I'm based from Sligo. Billy Boyer's trained Kil Coleman to win a county hurdle, but he was sold at that very first Derby sale as a three year old. He won his point to point as a four year old. He was then bought by um, by Billy to go on and, and and be the successful horse he was. So even back in nineteen 1975, that route that the, the Brave Man's Games, the Shishkins, the Energamines, the Honeysuckles, the John Bonds, that was a route that wasn't unheard of even back then. I mean, Honeysuckle, I guess, has been the most recent obvious uh, poster girl, the dual champion hurdle winner and, and, and dual mayor's hurdle winner. And she, she had quite an interesting route to, to you. Honeysuckle, yes, of course, she's been an absolute star for us um, and for anybody who's had any connection to her. Um, she was sold here. Marco Hare bought her for 9500 I think, a uh, daughter of Sulemani, who, who he won his point-to-point with, and the rest, as they say, is history. But I suppose that everybody who comes to a derby sale is hoping that they'll they'll land on a champion, maybe not quite of her stature, but as, as I mentioned earlier, you look at the Jerry Colombs and the excitements, the, the excitement you have to look forward to from the current graduates, that's that, that's what everybody's looking for this week. Can you, can you land on the next war? Patricia Wicklow Brave, Champagne Fever, Q Card. Uh, tell me about this year's catalogue, um, Richard. When you look at it, what do you see? More of the same, I think, uh, uh, Nick. I, I suppose the calibre and the quality of the catalogue thankfully has retained a real consistency over the last uh well nigh on 50 years now we've siblings to uh, 99 black type performers um 61 of of the catalog are out of black type mares with 417 lots catalogued and i think the real key with the derby sale is that we'll probably following the draws we we'll probably offer close on 200 each day which in relative terms for a select store sale is on the smaller side of things so it is very much about quality over quantity that's the identity of this sale if you like so the fact that it is producing the number of grade one winners it does it's the leading producer of grade one two and three winners it comes from the fact that the catalogue is smaller than other sales so it has to be right that the inspectors have to get it right to make sure that we hopefully have the the best caliber of racehorses coming out for out of it for the next for the next generation and whenever we're previewing sales um you know sales houses are, are loath to you know pin their pin their hopes on one or two horses because you know they want to keep all your all your vendors happy but 
are there horses that are obvious, you know, to 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 anybody that that they they're, they're going to be garnering interest? No, I think to be <laughs> fair, the thing about the Derby Sale is when you have such a tight catalogue and you hope that the inspectors have kept it tight from the outset and you've such a relatively small number and you've relatives of Native River, One Man, Frodon, Hurricane Fly, Duvan, Album Photo, Relegate, Edward, it, it would be when the purchasers come in and, and they like the physical that goes behind it that it starts to really hit the momentum behind one or other bills. But it, it does tend to, to draw an average, you know, cl- closing in now on, on 60,000 euros. So the hope is that each one of them is of a level that... that that made the list for each inspector and then that each vendor will be rewarded and onwards from there that they continue to perform as they have been doing on the race course. So I think one of the interesting things about the the vendor, the consigner profile is the names, if you look back to that very first catalogue and Cashman, O'Byrne, Hyde, Moorhead, Magner, Doyle, Downs, McCutcheon, Myrna, Doran, they're names that still resonate in the National Hunt world 50 years on and very much in this sale. So it's interesting the consistencies and yet the differences, but the consistency of quality of product and, and hopefully racehorse coming out of it is the one thing that we we're striving for and thankfully achieving thus far. Richard Pugh there, and I wasn't sure that the name Mangan was included amongst those those great names of the of the sales ring. Surely that's something we need to change, Jane. Um, he's dead right. No need for that name. Um, we'll be going up there tomorrow to inspect day one, and of course the sale commencing on Wednesday. Um, it's it's usually the creme de la creme of of Irish stores. You've got some fantastic pedigrees in there. I was flicking through it on my plane home from Ascot. You've got a Dr. Dino brother to do, Van and John Bon. Uh, you've got any amount of well-bred horses in there and it'll be interesting to see if the physicals match up the pedigrees, but they usually do. All right. So what are you going to give me for today? I'm going to go to um, Ballinrobe, naturally, going to go to County Mayo and 6.45, Gavin Cromwell has a, a two-pronged at- attack and it looks like his stable jockey Gary Carroll has opted for a different horse, but I don't think he could do eight stone nine on quick blessing. Chris Hayes, fresh from his first Royal Ascot win, certainly can. Quick blessing was second on her handicap debut last time. I think uh, with a feather waiting here, nine furlongs, I think quick blessing could win the 6.45 for the Royal Ascot winning duo. All right, Jane, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, please do give us a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcast. We will see you again tomorrow. That was Monday, the 26th of June. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.